Thanks, as always, for listening. In today's episode, Chris and I discuss party size as related to the story, the setting, rules, and call it gaming table cultural norms. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. Hello, Chris. Hi, Jeremy. We still have not reintroduced ourselves. I think that's going to become an on, a, a, a recurring theme of intransigence on our part. We'll just keep pointing people back we to episode did. one. I'm Chris and you're Jeremy. I, that's right. There, that's a good point. We are now introduced. And that's today... We could well, 40 episodes where we don't even say our names. So That's true. <laughs> that's true. Were you able to get any gaming done in the last week? Because I know we didn't talk uh, this last Monday. You were, you were indisposed. Uh, I, uh, well, yeah, I played a board game with Scott and Brian, which was meant to be one of these board games where it says it's going to take so long. And we played for sort of two hours and I'd only played, I know, a quarter of the game or something. Oh. And so we, and we stopped at that point. Uh, now, is that because it was a, you, you were playing it for the first time or you were distracted or it just took a lot longer to play than it real, than it said it was going to? It, all, all of the above. Oh. Um, we've, we've generally found our rule of thumb is whatever a game says it will take to play for the first time, double it. Uh, but even then this game was like said, it, it should be much, much quicker than that. And we've taken ages and we couldn't work out the end. We were supposed to be playing a short version of the game, but it mm-hmm. didn't seem to change the win condition. <laughs> it just seemed to make the loss condition shorter. So, and then we were like, no, this is going to take forever. We'll just stop. Um, and so we didn't get around to making Conan characters. So I had to make those during the week but i did play another session of our my league of legends car pg with uh with mika and annie oh right on just at the house at the house yes it's on the table yeah it turns out it works better on a car because annie's strapped to a chair (coughs) and can't move and it's in the house uh, prevented from being distracted by other things yeah so at home she's uh finding it difficult so it's just as well yeah we were thinking of doing an episode on how to play with children so my yeah (laughs) I haven't that, got great advice for that. We strapped them to a chair. That's not really good. not great. <laughs> well, you, you could, you know. I mean, yeah. we just so, uh, won't yeah. say that. You know. We'll leave that for another day. So yeah, that's what I've done. How about you? Um, we did our first. Uh, we did our first session, our first actual session for our Star Trek Excalibur uh, original series campaign. It went really well. It went. It went really well. Again, um, another session. In which, and this harkens back to a, a Star Trek Adventures convention game I ran um, last month, or was it this month? A couple of weeks ago, um, in which no challenge dice were rolled because it was wow. all very Star Trekian problem solving. No challenge dice were rolled in this adventure either, uh, and it was a uh, it was one of the ones from the book from the Strange New Worlds book. Um, and it's actually an enterprise era adventure that required virtually no modification to run an original series. But it was a lot of diplomacy and research and problem solving and interpersonal stuff. And it felt very Star Trek. And, and that was cool. So They put enterprise era adventures in a book. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, they it, actually, it's kind of nice what they, they, they in the two adventure compendiums, uh, the these are the voyages and strange new worlds. Each adventure is uh, has a default era, and then mm. there's information about 
ideas about how you could run it in a different era. And the adventure, or what's it called? The um, mission briefs. The mission yeah. briefs that are in uh, the Discovery book all default to that era, but there's some information about how you could run them in other eras as well. It, yeah, it, it's actually, it's handy, but it worked out. It was, it was, it was good. I just and, assumed they were all either next generation or original series, because I can't oh, imagine anyone actually wanting to play in the Enterprise. Well, there are yeah. obviously people out there who are interested in it. I'm not one of them. Yeah, like but, Quantum um, Leap fans, but who else? Yeah. But uh, yeah, it went well. It went well. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, hey, I said in the uh, before we started recording that I had some good news for you and some sad news for you, but that the sad news really probably wouldn't darken your day too much. The good news, if you're not if you haven't been paying attention, is that on two October, the Minnesota Vikings and the New Orleans Saints are going to be playing at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yeah, that was sold out already. <laughs> it, no, no, no. But won't that be on the television? Uh, yeah, but a bunch of your games are on the television. Oh, just well, that one will be on during a time times. you could actually watch it. Yes, but I don't watch American football live because a match takes four hours because there's so many adverts. That's true. That is that is a problem. Like I, I, if I watch it, I watch highlights because they're quick and snappy. That's true. Which is, you know, you, you're, there's only an hour, an actual hour of game time of yeah. your sport, and they somehow drag it out. It makes yes. cricket look quick. Uh, cricket. Yeah. Oh, out. that's true. That's that's true. If only we could make it last multiple days. Yes, no, cricket and it is would a terrible really be sport. cricketish. Gonna, uh, my my bad news is that your your former uh, uh, team love uh, the Raiders are doing quite poorly. They're yes, I know they lost right again. Now. Yeah, not they didn't just lose; they totally imploded <sighs> in the second half. It was like they just did not show up, and uh, and they got rolled all over uh, oh, by the Cardinals. To, yes, they lost to your local team. I don't like the Cardinals, yes, but it's still your local team. Yes, the Raiders. Uh, You're right. On the, pl- on, on the plus side, uh, I went to watch Man U women at the weekend, and they won four 0 So that was good. Yeah, I saw your pictures. That was that looked like fun. And it was, honestly, yeah. it's so nice to see stadiums with more people in them. It, it, it was proper. I mean, like all of last year, there are four sides to the stadium, but one of them standing, and I've never seen it used. Um, but there's only ever been people in one stand and a sporadic amount of people in one of the end stands. So to mm-hmm. go there and three of the stands being nearly full was was bizarre. That's good stuff. Um, so, yeah, people have, after the tournament in the summer, people are like going to watch women's football, which is, which is good. I like it. So that was good. Well, football, whatever flavor, yours or mine, uh, that's not the topic of our episode today. Our topic is... Although I believe we have threatened that as an episode. Well, oh, we could actually. We could turn that. We'll make a two die twenty game out of uh, like American football, which would just be eight, these. I don't. How would you do that? I don't, never mind. We'll do I'd that take inspiration from Blood Bowl because that's a miniatures game okay. based on. That's that's true. So it, you you could totally do it. I was thinking more along the lines of your complaint about all the commercials, and you could you could use momentum to, or the the GM could use a threat to inflict more commercials on you and like bog down the activity. Oh crap! I just want to play the game. Nope, sorry, you got to watch a car commercial. Time out. Anyway, yeah, time out exactly. Uh, so we're going to talk about party size and how this has changed over time. A little bit of a history from our perspective, and then how you can adjust and how different games account for adjustments in party size, that is, of players. Maybe some advice, actually not maybe, definitely some advice on how to make this work 
yeah. instead of living by what I see as the unexamined norm. Yeah, I think the other thing I was going to say is that there are there are certain genres of game that lend them. So like if you are stuck, like I have, I only have two players the vast majority of the time. Yeah. That does lend itself towards certain things and away from other things. And likewise, if you've got a big party, um, that again, there's certain maybe, you know, certain games maybe you should gravitate towards and some you should avoid. Yeah. But let's look back into the 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 the, the misty uh let's look back into the past and see as you know the first RPG, we talk about Dungeons and Dragons. What's your sense of party size norms? And uh and I've got some old I have PDFs of some old modules back from I have one open right now, the the danger at Dunwater, uh from nineteen eighty-two. I mean, uh, and, certainly, I because I, I haven't looked on Facebook. I remember them very clearly on the front of a module and on the back, probably saying, "This is an adventure for this to this characters or PCs or whatever adventures of levels this to this." Yes. Now, I was just looking at a bunch of. I didn't just look at five e. I looked at a bunch of. But having just looked at the back of sort of five five e books, every single one of them has no player count. It's all just right. this is an adventure for levels, and it wasn't. Like when they when they said it in like a module, it'd be more for like right. You can play it at level three to five, and you will level up as you know as these fit. Whereas these were kind of like, well, you'll start at level this, and you will move to level yes. this. So yeah, so there's there's a difference. I and we'll, we'll, I want to hit on that a little bit later after we we establish this. Found give us some of these numbers for what we used to have in first. Well, edition. Saltmar or not Saltmar? Sorry, Danger D- Danger. Hello, Danger at Dunwater. Uh, Dungeon Module U2, an adventure for character levels one through four, and it is for six to ten players, <laughs> is what it says, of levels one through four. Okay? Mm. Six to ten players. That's an interesting one. Let me, let me open up another one and see. Oh, my goodness. Uh, ten players. Yeah, ten players. About the minimum um, was six. Six players. That's a huge party. Tell me about it. What What is the largest, in your memory, what's the largest group you ever ran as a GM? So my, I can't remember how big it got, but I remember I, it kept getting bigger. So I ran a Star Wars, ooh, let's say it's second edition. So Star Wars second edition because it was... It was this, yeah, it was definitely the like the the second book. So Star Wars second edition when I ran at uni. So this was mm, it's like 97, 98. And I started with probably three players, three, maybe four players. But we sit pe- people kept saying, Oh, well, you seem to be having a really good time. So great. Right. This was a university when there's a role-playing society. So, you know, we're like in a massive big room. And you could see everybody else playing. So there was like the, the hardcore, the, the World of Darkness players. And there were some people who, and they only played World of Darkness. And then there was people who would like only play sort of D&D. Yeah. Which was, I guess, second edition at the time. You know, there's other people would be just running stuff. Uh, and yeah, I was running the Star Wars game. And I just kept getting people turn and go, well, can I join your game? Because like people seem to be having a really good time. Um, and I, th- I definitely got up to six. I might have got up to seven or eight eight i can't remember but it it, it very quickly became just un, unmanageable of yeah I, i've got nothing for these extra people to do and even just silly stuff like there's no space left on the starship that they're on. they're like in a freighter and i'm having to like they're you know sharing bunks and things because there was finite space on that freighter i uh, look yeah. i'm looking at dwellers of the forbidden city which is another first edition adventure for characters levels four through seven this is from 1981 
and it suggests six to eight players. Oh, much more reasonable. Oh, yes. Uh, well, I can, I can tell you this, though. There are plenty of first edition D&D adventures that are that that suggested upwards of 10 players. And the interesting thing in these is that there's virtually nothing in the 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 module itself of how to manage all of those people <laughs> at the table. Um so but but putting that aside, largest group I ever ran was uh, I believe it was 9, Ooh. 8 or 9 and that was vampire. But it yeah. worked. Yeah. The, because I had the same situation. I was running it in a public game space and people kept being like, oh, that sounds like fun. You look like you have a good, healthy game. And so people kept wanting to join. And what had happened though, by the time I hit that high watermark of players, there were so many subplots and so much there was so much intrigue going on between the players that it was it was almost like teaching a class and breaking up your class into small groups that once you set them on their mission, you can drift around between them and manage them and then bring yeah. them back together when, when it makes sense. So that actually worked. But I couldn't imagine running like a D&D camp. Can you imagine running like 5e? How about Pathfinder? Oh, Pathfinder with 10th level characters with 10 <laughs> players. No. <laughs> I don't even want to think <laughs> about that. Um, but but it's anyway, so I, I guess my, my point here is that for D&D in its early years, large parties... And, and parties of, of not widely, but you know, definitely varying size um, was not unusual in terms of the suggestions from the, um, from the designers. Um, I have a heap of old FASA uh, Star Trek second edition modules that I'm mining for, for stories for my Star Trek Adventures games. And I'm looking in those and they suggest six to ten players. I'm like, I don't know where you're going to put them on the ship. You're going to have like a third watch. Um, but, but what's, what's fascinating is when I go back and I look at some of these old systems, the old Grognardi systems, yeah, large parties were, seemed to be written into the, 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 the canon, not canon, but the, the rules as a norm. Now, I never saw that much. You, know, you go to a convention and you rarely have, you know, more than like six or so people at one of these, these tables, but, um, you said now at the back of, and I noticed this too, but on the back of your, your 5e books, which are campaigns, really, they're not really yeah. adventure modules, um, they don't say how many, how many characters. And so, but what from the, the PHB and the, the Dungeon Master's Guide, what's the accepted, I think we all know the answer, but what is the accepted, unmentioned, sometimes norm for 5e? It's, it's basically four now, isn't it? That's... That's pretty much what in the uh, in in the main book. So in the Dungeon Master's Guide and Pathfinder is the same. Yep, it all has you know like it basically says if you're playing with four players, then this is how you work out all of the you know the levels for the balancing which we've talked about previously. And then it you know if you for every player under four or for every player above four, this is what you're meant to do. The problem though I've noticed with like CR in both well the three X fourth and and fifth edition and pathfinder when you're trying to monkey with cr the farther you move away from four the screwier it becomes if you add a fifth player i feel like the math doesn't get wanged up that much if you drop to three it gets screwed up a little more if you move to two players it, like the farther you get away from what they yeah. recommend and what they built the system around the the less 
reliable those numbers become. And if you haven't listened, we have an episode about balance and our sense of balance, whatever that's supposed to mean in, in encounter design. We don't need to go into that, but yeah, I mean, but that two, supposed promise of balance breaks. Yeah, the, I, you know, I've played a lot with two players on fifth edition and a bit on Pathfinder. And yeah, like you said, the, the, the numbers just don't work because they have things, you know, like the things they have for, oh, well, you just use half as many CR and or level in how it works out. But then you have all those multipliers for if you have multiple bad yes. guys. But again, those are designed for if you have multiple bad guys compared to four players. Well, then funnily enough, against two, it makes a massive difference because if yep. you're running sort of six bad guys with against two good guys, well, it just doesn't work. Um, I mean, that's part of the reason when I ran, I was trying to remember actually what I did in Strad. And I remember, actually, no, I ran Strad with four players because Scott had a player, Scott had a character, Brian had his main character, and then he had a second character who was basically a walking heel. Like I deliberately made his character have, uh, he couldn't talk, he had a vow of silence, so he didn't talk to anyone. So he could only talk in sign language, which only Brian's, only the other PCs understood. So it wasn't an issue. So he didn't have to interact with anyone. So Brian could concentrate on role playing one character. Mm -hmm. And in combat, there was this second character there that would would do stuff in combat, but out of combat weather. And like I had a GMPC, which I ran in combat, but out of combat, again, she she couldn't talk, she was mute. So she didn't yeah. talk to us. There was no worries about <laughs> role playing and stuff. She just, she was there to like Did be things. there in combat and help out. And she could break into places and do things like that because she was like a, sort of a thief. No, she was a thief, rogue, whatever. Um, you know, so I, I, that was the, I thought this is easier rather than trying to like mess around with every encounter of the entire campaign. I'll just run them with four, with four characters because I know it's been designed for four characters. And I thought that was going to be easier. Because when I've tried to do things in D&D with just two characters, when you then try and do the stuff properly, it just doesn't, the amount of times it doesn't work. Yeah. Let's talk about this. I The, the idea, and I, I really do think the four-player party is, is, is seen as, four, maybe five, is seen as optimal and is, and is the norm or seems yeah. to be almost the norm. Like people, you often hear, oh, I'll take up to six, but I'd rather have four or five. And I think... Uh, most GMs, it seems to me, would rather have five than three. Yeah. But why? And, and I, I've got some views as to on the game side, the system side, and also the management side as to why I think that is so. But what are your thoughts about that? Because that, that really is watching group sizes at stores, at conventions, as suggested in adventures and in game systems. It seems like virtually all systems have have pushed generally to that point what do you think about that i think 4e made a massive difference and i think but 4e steals from computer games and i think this is actually where it comes from um i mean have said that so like 4e stole the idea of these roles stole these ideas right and they took that from from mmos now actually if you look at something like world of warcraft you have raids where a raid is i i don't know i've never done a raid in my life but i think it's like 20 people up so they are massive but a computer game it can handle that um but Fori had these very strict roles. You had like what? Striker, controller, leader, and... It was striker, controller. I think it was defender. Yeah, that was it. Defender, and then you had leader. So you had like a character that was could damage individuals. So strikers were like one-on-one -on -one targets. And then controllers But often from a distance. So like a rogue was a striker. Uh, yeah, but like rangers could be up close and they were strikers. And sure. I think a barbarian was probably a striker. I can't remember. And then you had controllers, the idea of being like a wizard that could damage multiple people or yep. could do like crowd control effects. And then the defender was there to sort of tank. 
soak up damage. Stand, yeah, soak up the damage. And then you'd have the leader who would be like buffing the rest of your team. Yep. And I think after that, now 5e doesn't have any of those roles. Those, those roles don't exist. But I think 4e was around for long enough and then linked to computer games. So for example, I've, I've talked lots of times about League of Legends and other MOBA style games. And they, like on, on most of these games, you have a very strict, you have a, what was called a top laner, which is a fighter. They, they can be quite tanky, but they can also be killy, but they're a one-on-one -on -one fighter. You have a shooty person that is meant to, again, they're kind of a one-on-one. -on -one. You have a, a jungler, which is an assassin type person. So again, they're, they're meant, they work in a different role. You have a, a wizard person that's meant to be able to take out lots of people and you have a support. So that's again, five. And I think those combination of these kind of things coming from the computer world has sort of taught people into this, where you need these five roles. You need someone that's going to tank the damage. You need someone that's going to control the enemy. You need someone that's going to buff the rest of your team and support. And then you need one or two damage dealers. And I think that's where the two, the five works. Because if you went strictly to that 4E thing, if you've only really got sort of one character doing one-on-one -on -one damage and one character doing group damage, actually having a, a third damage dealer of one of those types, that works better. You only need one defender. You only need one leadery per person, but you need more damage dealers. So five, five makes sense. Like you said, when you start going above five, it just starts getting, well, the game just starts slowing down. Whatever, well, pretty much whatever I, game you're playing. It, it's interesting to me. I, I think that... Consider this in a level-based system, and I mean, I'm putting. I, I think that you know, we, we always know that D and D has always been the elephant in the room, um, and D and D always, in so many ways, sets the standard and establishes the norms. In part because of its market power, but also because so many people play that, yeah. and so that which the the people who shape how D and D is played, in part especially since Wizards took over the, uh, the, the the property. And in the last two iterations, especially with 5e, like taking so much uh, playtest information from people and feedback, the, the community of D&D players, which is obviously massive compared to every other game, yeah. they inform how D&D is codified into how D&D says, this is how you play the game. And level-based systems and character class-based systems that create niches to provide a clear definition of this is what your character is about. And because, like it or not, I mean, D&D, no matter what, no matter what stuff they pump out in current books and things like that, new you know, species, races, whatever they call them this week they offer, it's at its core, it's a game about going out and killing things. <laughs> so there's lots of combat. Yeah. And one of the easiest ways to get someone to understand, like, okay, what do I do? You know, it's like, well, Nathan talked about, like, when you talk about traits and how to shape the system, what does the character do? What's the yeah. character's purpose? If you have a game that is overwhelmingly about combat, what does your character do in combat? Well, yours is the one who's able to do a lot of damage to one, or yours is the one that's able to, like, control a space. You're like you're like an area attack person. You help others. You, you, you provide, you're the one-man shield wall. Those kinds of archetypal combat roles, they're super easy to communicate. They're therefore, I th would think, easier to codify into uh, classes and, you know, abilities and whatnot over, over a period of levels. And on the, on the player's side, like to call it the story interactive side, it, it's very clear what everyone's supposed to do. And so you can just drop right in and do your thing. Um, and then on the system side, it becomes, I would think, easier because then those, those 
entities are more concrete and you can you can then work a system and build a system that takes into account those those ideas and those those entities yeah i mean totally i mean and that i think that's what's funny now it's like i've just so having looked at my five ebooks there i then looked at the back cover of a bunch of other things and again not one of the mentioned players not 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 as it numbers of players no, all of the, they might have said like for experienced or starter players, but none of them said how many players. Right. Now, partly that's because other systems deal with this kind of thing differently from 5e and Pathfinder. So yeah. both any kind of D&D, well, they didn't use to, but D&D games nowadays have these ideas, you know, of the, like you said, of, of CR and like building an encounter and having an, an encounter budget, all these kind of things, which are supposedly meant to have a balanced encounter, which we've obviously, you know, we've done a whole episode on balanced encounters. I think of a lot of other systems deal with things by kind of saying, well, in this encounter, there's this monster or there's this baddie or there's whatever. And then there's these kind of minion baddies per player, or there's two per player, or right. there's one for every two player. So they deal with it like that. But again, that means those encounters aren't going to be balanced because if you, if they've been, I mean, they don't even say what they've been designed for. So at least as much as we can say, our oh, D&D is so obsessed with four players, it doesn't work beyond that. At least with D&D, you know it's designed for four players. So right. you know if you've got more or less players that you're going to have to do some tinkering. A lot of these other systems don't have that kind of conceit. Mm-hmm. So how, you know, how unless you literally it's a one-on-one thing, it makes it a bit more difficult to balance encounters. Again, we've already said that kind of encounter balance is kind of sort of, anyway so it's yeah not, the, the idea it's that you're somehow guaranteed this 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 outcome yeah um i do think it's it's valuable without straying into the ter- terrain we covered in that episode it's it's obviously it's important as a gm as you are thinking about the story and you're thinking about encounters to have some kind of some way to say i'd like to make this an easier encounter yeah. Because, 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 for whatever story reasons, or I'd like this to be a really challenging encounter. And, and yeah, like you said, different games handle it differently. In you know, 2D20, it's the, the three di- typically the three different types of NPCs and numbers of them per PC. But though that's always presented as there, there's a there's a bit of a there's a bit of a loosey goosey side to it that's attached. Like I've never seen in any of or taken away by inference from any 2D20 books that like this is this is concrete, like valid, not valid, um, like guaranteed math, kind of like how it's presented in in uh in uh in D D. Yeah, I think it, it is one of those it, I, I imagine that's something that would catch people a lot, catch them out in other systems, at least in D D. Yes, we think the balance might not be spot on, but at least they're trying to give new DMs. You know, if you play this adventure module with four players, you should be okay. They won't be. But in theory, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to tell them be okay. But obviously another system, you know, you might read a thing at the front of the book that says, this is what a role-playing game is. You, what do you need? You need pens and pencils and paper and some dice. And you need, you know, one to, you need two, three to five players. Right. That's, what they, that's what I normally see is they say you need, you know, three to six players. One of these will be the game master and then blah, blah, blah. Um, and some need more than that. I think, um, but definitely there are certain systems, not so much balance, balance is a different thing. You can, you know, you can make sure a game works. You can make sure any game works for one player. You make sure any game works for 10 players. I think the thing is there are certain games that lend themselves more to one end of that spectrum or, or the other. Um, well, like, what? Go on. Go ahead. I was to say the, the the most obvious one. There's other reasons outside the most obvious. The most obvious one is combat. 
combat with lots of players will grind a game to a halt. So and yep. this is where you hear these horror stories about, you know, oh, you know, the, we only played one combat session in our thing. See, most people say that's fine. You play, oh, we, you know, we played for we played for four hours and we played one combat session. Oh, sorry, one combat encounter. It's like, okay, but was that one combat encounter that took three hours or was that like your Star Trek kind of thing? You played for four hours and there was a 20-second combat. Because that that's two different things. Like when I watch Critical Role, you know, they have a party of seven, sometimes eight. If they have combat in Critical Role, it's a session. That's That, that whole four-hour episode that week is one combat, which lasts four hours, and then they go three sessions with, with no combat kind of thing. Because something like D&D or Pathfinder, if you get into combat, the amount of players massively slows it down. Um, whereas I play with two players, so I can get through multiple combats very easily in an evening. Also because, you know, Brian and not to some extent Scott will optimize their players. And I will frequently unoptimize my D&D bad guys to give them a hand because I want combats to be quick. And if that means bad guys make stupid decisions, well, fine. Because at some point they'll come up against a bad guy that isn't a moron and that'll be interesting. Um, so I think that that does, you know, that other than you know, combat there are other reasons why some systems work better for small parties and some I mean, genres more than systems I'm, yeah and work you know, for bigger and i've got some ideas about which systems are good one way or the other gumshoe with its investigative um abilities accounts for different size parties by providing character each player gets the the fewer the players, the more each character gets for general ability or investigative ability points. Oh, that's really good. The idea is that in a single party of, of uh, characters, virtually every investigative skill in the game ought to be represented yeah. so that that party can solve or find clues for virtually any problem. And so if you have a party of five, each of those characters gets fewer investigative ability points when they build their characters as opposed to a party of two. Yeah. Um, and they do have this thing called gumshoe one-to-one, -one, which is frankly really confusing. And I have, I have it and I don't understand it. I've tried to read through it and it doesn't make sense. And it's meant to be a single GM and a single player, a single player who has all kinds of other characters that serve as assets and contacts and things like that. But in normal gumshoe, they, they're able to account for that. But what about the management side or like call it the social interactive side of gaming? Um, what do you think about party size and maybe how that's changed over time or, or what works best? I think obviously small is easier. Like I have very few problems running two players. There's two players. It's very easy to run a session where you do have problems is that you have different problems. So in a small thing with two players, the problem is that neither of them might think up the idea. And that's problematic. So then you've kind of got to give them more hints and stuff. When if you've got eight people, eight people are more likely one of them is going to go, oh, wait a minute, why don't we do this? The flip side of that is that eight people are going to struggle to ever make a decision. Whereas with two players, you know, player A says, let's do this. Player B either says no or yes. That's it. There's not much. You don't have to vote on it. You know, it's a lot quicker and easier. Where, when you've got when you've got eight players, um, you know, it just going to. Um, and again, like to refer to the critical role thing, the amount of times it is just them planning what they're going to do, and it's sort of a half hour conversation, and nothing's happening. It's just they're they're planning before they get because there's eight people, and they need to think of something for eight, all the people to do, and just like talking back and forwards. Um, 
I think the flip side of that is that you can get more much interest in role playing and interaction between the characters when you've got eight people. So part of the thing I think that every the people like about Critical Role and it's the these you know these guys are professional voice actors, which means they're good at playing their characters. And where it gets interesting is them bouncing off each other, them having like you know they've done their days adventuring and then they have a, an hour long session of the different characters pairing off and having conversations with each other and that's really interesting that's what you might see in a, you know in a tv program whereas when i've got two players well that doesn't happen because well they don't occasionally they might bicker about something but you know then they're, they're unlikely to have that kind of interaction so then the interactions then have to be with npcs you have to have interest in npcs for them to interact with because they're not going to get as much interaction with each other i mean that's why you know it's it's, it's a two it's like two totally different things but so i would say that two players is way easier to manage than i mean they're managing the big group that i had to manage one time i was like i'm never doing that again it's it's just you know having the right players it's 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 silly to say but having the right players is essential no matter how big or small your party is i i get where four to five is is a is a sweet spot because like you said on the one hand and i've seen this that that big vampire game i ran which is like 30 years ago the game was the story was already running it was like the story was a train that was already up to speed and other people jumped onto it and the but the momentum in the direction was there virtually all of them were very into playing their characters and so it i could I could run it as like, you know, small group activity with me monitoring and moving around between them. Um, although they did, you know, it, it, it creates some management issues. Um, but, uh, but that was workable. The trouble with a crunchier game, like, you know, with lots of combat assumed like D&D or Pathfinder is, yeah, once you step into that, that session or that, that encounter, things are going to get really slow. The trouble too is that and, and maybe this is different now than um, than in the past. You know, people get distracted and people piddle around on their phones yeah. and stuff like that, which I hate. I, I frankly, I don't like any electronics at the table. I, I don't. I don't even like electronic character sheets. I get it. I get where some people are like good with that and they use it and stuff like that. But I mean, any kind of tablet or, or a screen is like a digital crack, crack pipe. You know, you just, <laughs> you get sucked off in another direction. And especially like conventions, you get people who, their their level of commitment to the group is you know it varies mm -hmm. and so maintaining i think that's one of the biggest challenge with with a, challenges with a bigger group is you're you're having to deal with the mechanical side of it juggling especially in a combat encounter that's tough you're also having to deal with how do i what can i do to try to encourage and entice people to stay engaged when it's not their turn and realistically it's going to be like 15 or 20 minutes before it's going to come around the initiative yeah. circle and or maybe longer and come back to them and then you you get these people who just like slowly check out yeah and that i think that degrades the the quality of the game like i have a, a guy that i used to play with used to game with a lot who he is absolutely dead set again like he won't play in a group that has five players or or higher like four is it period and it's because he believes that not each player doesn't get enough spotlight time yeah. for their character and i and i get it that that makes sense i think um, I, I laugh at you that and yet i i have played I, I last time i played as a player there was only a, oh, i think there was four players and i got bored then 
with four players. And that's why I, it's like the guy, someone asked us on the Discord, did you only GM? I was like, yes, because actually if I have to play, I get bored because I'm not the center of attention. <laughs> I have to Chris wait is- for other people to take their turns. How boring. Well, but you know, but th- that's where, and we've talked about this before, we don't need to go into detail about it, but that's where we, we talked about how different systems enable or encourage or both activity outside of your like hard initiative moment yeah you know there isn't a whole lot of that for 5e unless it's just purely meta and you just saying hey you should do this or whatever there there are some actual uh rules-based opportunities to get involved outside of your turn but not very many whereas okay just say like you know 2d20 offers those kinds of things i think a, a narrative heavy game like vampire if you're into that potentially offers a lot of that because ideally you shouldn't have that much combat. And that's the thing. It's really not any other kind of encounter. It's combat encounters that slow things down and complicate things for, well, crap, I only have two players and the whole CR system on which I'm dependent uh, has has fallen apart and failed me because it's a fallacy anyway. But it's interesting and I'll I'll shut up on this, but I, I, I do think like I can see both sides of it. Like having the default being four players, there is a social interactive benefit to that. Mm. There's also a system mechanical benefit to that. It doesn't necessarily mean that's the only way to be, but I, but I do see where it's like those two sides of the game, they do tend to point to that side. It's like one car yeah. full of people. Yeah. I think to, to me, the, I mean, sort of the three, four, five is, is, is where you want to be. Now, I frequently play under that, and I'll come back to that in a second. But um, once you go beyond five, we said that this that that's not ideal. The six, seven, the ten, the ten in that adventure. I, I can't imagine playing ten with with D and D. Just like that. <laughs> that would be hilarious. I want to see it. Um, but if you if if you have that for whatever reason, you 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 have that many people that want to play, and there's only one person wants a GM. I mean, because that's my answer. Is like if you get to ten players at that point, you're just like we'll run two parties with two separate GMs. But let's hi- hypothetically, you can't for one, only one person will GM and you have eight or nine players. Um, what kind of systems or settings do you think actually do work in that? Now you've given me one already, but I would argue that while vampire as a setting for there's lots of politics and you can break the people, I do not think that system is great for that. It's, it's not a, it's not, it's, it's well, you know, it's not the most crunchy system, but it is still crunchy. There's like, you know, once particularly if you end up in combat in vampire, you have all kinds of powers and things to track and it is quite complicated, particularly in the older editions, maybe, you know, some of the other ones that are less so, but it's, it's not a quick snappy, easy system. Um, I mean, I've got some in the back of my head, what other kind of maybe genres or set or systems you actually think, no, they're, they're fine with eight players because it, it doesn't slow down at any point. You know, it, depending on the system, I now do you want me to stick to system or or setting genre? Uh, either, because that okay. I think that setting or genre for uh, modern military or modern military style activity, yeah. which could include cyberpunk, depending on the system. That 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 genre. That's the, that's the problem, though, isn't it? Almost yeah, any yeah. modern military game is going to have a super crunchy system. Well, you know what though, uh, I'll the new Twilight Two Thousand does not. The new yeah. Twilight 2000, of, now, admittedly, I don't have a whole lot of experience with it. I've, I've done some dry run-throughs where my buddy and I ran combat as, just as a, like a, a minis game, essentially. And we used it with the maps and the little chits. 
and we actually set up minis and buildings yeah. and junk like that because he has a bunch of that stuff. The rules are not that complicated. Uh, I mean, they are yeah, no. more fiddly. I, I actually I would put them like on par in terms of options and things you need to remember to play it well. I'd put it on par with with two D twenty. I think it's quicker. I mean, I've run combat in that in in aliens with the, like there being five or six people in the in the unit. Yeah. And Brian and Scott are running sort of two characters each and there's still spares and it does run super quick. Part of the thing which why that runs quicker than something like D&D is because the characters die super quick. Yeah. So you only need sort of two hits dead. Oh, well, that player's gone. <laughs> Don't yeah, have I mean, to worry about I, that. I, on, a, on a story side, like I could see if you wanted to run something like a, something that like a simulation of like a, you know, a squad or fire team level thing or like a somewhat depleted special forces A team, which has, 12 members typically if it's at full strength i i think you know depending on the system you use that that would make sense for the story yeah um and twilight 2000 is really the the newest version is really the only one that i can think of that system wise i would even try that with yeah i do think that's a pretty quick system and actually you could you could easily run big groups in that and again like you know the 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 alien things have been written that you can play in with sort of three or four players and you only have to have two players and the other ones are run as npcs but you could genuinely run those with sort of six seven maybe eight players i think the, the bigger challenge in that situation like eight or nine players something wazoo like that is you would realistically from a management standpoint you'd have to separate you'd have to split that into two groups yeah. and i would think that the best way to do that would to treat it like a fishbowl where you'd have you would deliberately go back and forth between those two groups and you would, there would have to be some kind of joint, like tension in the story that both groups are attached to, so that as one group is doing the thing, the other group's players are watching and would would be able to get some enjoyment out of like, oh crap, are they going to achieve what they're going to achieve so that we can get done what we need to get done or, or something like that. I think that kind of thing helps to be in a more of a modern setting where like, like you said, a military thing, because if you split them, if they've all got comms, they can talk to each other. Yeah, true. They would legitimately know what's happening in the other group yeah. at the same time. Whereas in a fantasy setting, you know, or medieval setting, they might not know that. So then that's that makes it a bit more awkward. How would they know what the other thing's doing? It could um, be kind of fun, though. I was just thinking, like, if you had some kind of, a, a, like, storm the castle type of adventure, you know, where you would have, you have a couple of players are, like, the ground pounders, and then you have some others that are like scaling the walls or, you know what I mean? Some, some, you, you could, you could go back and forth like a, you know, and, and, but there wouldn't be that communication between them. Yeah. I think the other thing I'd say is if you've got a part, a, a party that is with party, yeah. Group players, whatever, that's that big. Um, there are systems that would run it very easily. So some of the sort of powered by the apocalypse, not our favorite system, the original powered by the apocalypse, you do have these links to other characters. Okay. So. And then like, what, do, I've tried to play those in two players and there's not enough, there's only one other player. So yeah. there's no one to do links to. And the game is designed around having a bigger party where there's meant to be sort of conflict between the players and more interaction between the players. So if you've got a big group, I'd look, I would look to a more narrative system. Like, I mean, like, you know, fate, if you play it very narrative or, or something like Powered by the Apocalypse, where if there is combat, it's narrative and it can be dealt with quickly and it's not going to grind it down because there aren't tons and tons of combat rules. Uh, yeah. and if you do, but if you do get into combat, you can deal with it quickly. Uh, and actually there's rules for, you know, it's designed to deal with bigger chunks because there are systems out there like that. I mean, as much as I like 2D20 um, and the combat is quicker, 
mostly because combats don't last long because people die quickly. I wouldn't mm. want to run 2D20 with sort of more than the four or five players. I think beyond that, it would it would slow down. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think another thing you've got when you've got parties that big is, you kind of said it already, in a class-based system, you'd have to some extent niche protection. My class does this, your class does that. But in a, a non-class system, you, you only have skills. And one thing I noticed is something like, say, Conan is that there aren't that many skills to differentiate the characters and you can have the characters start overlapping each other very quickly. It's, true. it's like you think Star Trek, right? Star Trek, at least you have six different disciplines. So each of your characters can be best in one discipline and then have a second discipline they're quite good at. So you can feasibly have six players who do not overlap each other. True. Um, and you can go beyond that, but it gets fiddly. Whereas in Conan, like you kind of have this thing of like, right, well, you need a, you can have a character that's good with ranged weapons, but they're potentially they're also sort of a bit sneaky as well. Right. You have a, a guy who's really good in, in face up comedy. He's really good at melee. Right. Um, maybe you had a sorcerer. And now what? Oh, that's kind of it. Well, you, what ends up happening, I think, is that you would differentiate mainly through things like talents. Mm. But then that and, and how the talent trees are worked out, especially on more developed characters. But that, I think, is a difference more of like texture than actual yeah. substance. And I think it, but it I think it's a piece of Conan. That's, you yeah, just got to accept that. It works over time, like you said. Over time, your character can deviate more. So I've just made up these three characters and I've got kind of like, well, this character is very good at uh, melee and like a couple of other skills. And this character is really good at survival and the range stuff. And then I wanted to make a third character, but we're doing Conan Exiles. So we're not even going to be in cities. So sort of social skills are relevant. Things like lore are relevant. And I was like, ah, and trying to make yeah. a sorcerer at starting level is almost impossible in Conan because they yeah. just, you just can't do it. You have to build to that. So I was really kind of stuck. So I've literally got this character that does it like they're quite good at alchemy and they have sorcery, but don't cast any spells. And they're basically rubbish. They're, I've literally said they're going to be a liability to the other two characters. They don't do anything useful. But see, that's, that's, I, I wonder if, I mean, I, you're right about the the video game influence and the, the, the roles in 4E. That's spot on. And although they don't exist in 5E, they exist in 5E. Yeah. I, they really do in terms of, of what those different classes do. Um, but in a way, I, I wonder also if that, that approach was based in part on like in first edition, your magic user was very squishy yeah. for a very long time and then became very powerful. <laughs> They're still so squishy, I, though. <laughs> I, so I wonder if there's a I wonder if there's an acknowledgement over time of like okay we we need ideally you need a, a, a you need some character or some yeah some characters that are going to be able to absorb damage so as to protect the ones who can't absorb damage, mm -hmm. um, you know and, and also I mean for D and D we look back to you know the in terms of the roles that is you you can look to the the original source material that they that they can't point to because of copyright you know tolkien and clearly there are some roles yeah um and you and i mentioned this actually in our our uh, outside of recording that you know if you think of party size and you think of the fellowship the fellowship was only all together when they were pledging that they were going to be all together the rest of the whole you know the the whole book series and the movie series really it's three separate parties yeah of quote of like normal-ish size yeah i mean they are literally that, that that eight exists for they get made they go to moria well that's it they that's it. never ate again and right. like you said after that through, through the vast majority of two towers and return of the king you've got 
sort of what was it Sam Frodo and Gollum? Who's yeah. A, if he's a PC, he's a shitty PC. <laughs> he's the, I'm, yeah. I'm hoping he's, that's a GM PC because if he's oh, a, PC, a GM PC, wow. Um, and then you've got like sort of yeah. Um, I mean. The, the, well, the others are a bit of a mess because they kind of interweave each other, you know. So, but it, that's it. They're, they're, like you said, they're, they're mo- the others are mostly in two different groups. They join up at one point and then they split up again. Yeah. But they mostly, you know, that's a part. Like you said, that's three separate groups really playing through their their things. That literally, um, I say at the other end. See, I think there's there's two things I would say about small parties. One is that I actually think small parties are better for certain kinds of games. And there's certain things you can do in a small party. So whereas a big, I think a big party really only adds problems unless you're desperate to play with that big, I want the whole group talking to each other kind of thing. And the GM is going to stand back. Um, there's downsides of small parties, like trying to make, like try, I remember trying to play fourth edition where it's designed for four players with two, it's almost impossible. Um, but there are certain genres I actually think are really good with two. So things like, I mean, arguably certain things are superheroes. Okay, yes, for every Avengers and X-Men and the Justice League, there's also Batman doing things by himself and Superman doing things by himself and those kind of things. So if you only have one or two players, you know, super still works totally okay. Um, another yeah. one is, is any kind of espionage or spy thing. I mean, yep. you know, like we we have 50 years or however long we've had of James Bond always being there's Bond and sometimes he has a sidekick, but mostly it's Bond. Mostly it's Bond by himself and there's a bunch of other, you know, and it's all NPCs. So actually, if you're in the situation where you're in a one-on-one doing a kind of espionage thing or like an assassin thing is great because there's normally only, there's there's one guy. Um, and so those, there are things when there's only one or two. And again, like if we look at a lot of action films only have two characters, they don't have lots of others. So there are, and if you, that's part of the thing, part, part of the reason we end up playing lots of combat is when I've only got two players, we can play a lot of combat and it doesn't take lots of time. Sure. So there actually are genres I think are better with much, much smaller parties. Where I have a problem is I frequently try and play games that were designed for four or five players and I'm playing it with, with two and I, I have to. And that's out of necessity. Uh, yeah. But I actually think, yeah, playing with playing with sort of two players, playing with one or two players, because I've I've run sessions with just like just Mika before now, mm-hmm. um, and I think there are definitely genres where it mostly because if you read a lot of literature and a lot of films, there is one protagonist, so you can Often, run. That's true. Yeah, you can run role playing games. One thing it just means the GM has to be super good at lots of different NPCs and and know what's going on, which is yeah, which is difficult. But yeah, that's that's totally a thing. Um, so yeah, if you have a small party. Don't worry. You can still totally role play and have lots of fun. Yeah. It's the other end where I think. And I think if you're going to have a small that is fewer than four, definitely two or one. If you're going to, if that's your situation, either by choice or by necessity, then you probably want to consider a system that is more flexible for that. And 5e, for all its all its benefits, is not. No. I mean, you just... One of the problems we come across a lot with playing with two players, and I wish I'd, I'd need to do it more often, is give like give starting players more skill points, like what you said about the um, the gumshoe thing, is that frequently they come up to a thing where they're, oh, right, there's one of you got X skill. Oh, no. Yeah. Ne- neither of us have. And in D&D, like I said, it's worse because ideally you need like, you know, you need someone that's going to be able to soak some damage and that someone can do some damage. Yeah. But you need you need skill monkeys. And frequently in games, there's, you know, there's a skill that just like, neither of them have. Well, it's like we we need a bard or we need a rogue. Yeah. 
Um, right. So it's frequently that is a problem where it's kind of like neither of them have the, like neither of them, at the moment, our co- neither of the Conan characters are any good at talking to people. Luckily, that's not going to be an issue. They're out in the desert doing survival. So it's not right. going to be a problem. But in so many other games, they're like, oh, wow, both of us are garbage at yeah. like thievery but, or both of us are garbage at talking to people. And then it's, that's where it, it, it's fascinating. Like I said, back, back to my last comment on 5e is that I think there's so much about the the mechanics of the game and the assumptions of the size and composition of the party that both point in the exact, they both point to the exact same thing. And so the problem, well, the advantage for that is if that's what you do and that's what you want, it's perfect if you like that kind of a system. If you, if you move away in terms of like, I have this many players or I prefer to have this many players or you don't want to have like, you know, what if, what if all your players want to play fighters? And you run the rules stock as they're written for encounter design, you're going to run into problems over yeah. time. And so that's that's a that's one of these times where, like you as GM, you need to be aware of whether it's explicitly stated or not. You need to understand, like, what is this game really about? Like, what is it really pointing to? And is that going to do? Is that what I'm pointing to, or what I want at my um, at my table? Um, let me ask you this. What's your favorite? What is your optimal uh, party size for, I, for I, players? If I you had your druthers, forget about reality. Could, partly because I've got so used to playing with two, but know that it's not perfect. I think three would be where I'd be perfectly happy because I don't think you need four. I think there's a huge, even playing D&D, I think if you're playing D&D, you need like a fighter dude. You need a sneaky rogue ranged attack, whatever, dude. And you need a magic user that you don't need. A, you don't necessarily need a cleric and a, and a wizard because maybe your fighter is a paladin. So then they can do the healing. Or maybe your, maybe your caster is a, is a druid that has offensive spells and is good in combat and can do a bit of healing. Um, if you're playing like a sci-fi setting, then you've got like, you know, one of them is like a, the guy that can do all the skills. So they're the pilot or the tech guy or whatever else. And then you've got someone who's really good at shooting. And then you've got a big tanky guy. So, and, you know, so I think actually three for me is, is would be spot. I, I haven't run three for ages. There was a while I did. We had a, me, Scott had an extra guy who joined in um, and it didn't work out, but it did mean that we had that extra player to like, oh, this, the, you know, the, we've got more skills available now. We can do more stuff. Um, and like, you know, four would be good, but I've got so used to playing with two players. If I had four players, I think I would feel that my players were just missing out, that they are spending like a lot of time doing nothing because I've just got used to just running with, with running with two. So three for me, like I said, when I played in a session, it was about a year ago now, when I last played, I think there were four players. And even then I was like, well, every time we get to a car, yeah, that's a long wait between my last go and my next go. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, three, three for me, I think is, is a good, I'd like to think of it. Like the only thing I can think of in the top of my head for like a franchise where there's three would be Harry Potter, where everything's always Hermione, Ron and, and Harry. But even then half time, it's really just Harry. They're probably NPCs. Right. Right. They're more like the doctor's, uh, flunkies yeah. than like fully realized characters. Star Wars though, your main three characters, Han, Leia, Luke. I couldn't remember Luke. Chewbacca is an NPC. He doesn't talk. And the droids are definitely, although comic relief that there's someone's kids that wanted to play one. The entire, the, yeah, the, never mind. I'm not going to get on the, not going to get on it. Uh, I, you make a really good point. I think that's, that it's, um, I have not played 
any long, well, I mean, actually once a while, several years ago, I ran a campaign a couple of months with two players in fantasy age. And it was all right. Actually, it, it, it was all right. It, the, the biggest issue was the system. Um, but other than that, I've never run. I've always had four or five um, and occasionally six, which I don't like. I don't like six because it's it's just too many. It's yeah. too many people for me to yeah. manage, and it's way too easy for people to get off track and disengaged, and then that sucks up my energy, pulling them back to the table, and they suck away energy by not being engaged, and then managing crunchy encounters is a hassle. Um, I actually, I would run five. If I had five really locked on players, I would run five, but I think my old friend and his... his uh, his aversion to five players. I, I'm going to stick with that. Four has always been my default. And right now I have three. We lost a player um, over the summer, which was a bummer. But um, we have three. And this is where we're starting off Star Trek Adventures. And what do we have? It just so happens we have a captain, a chief science officer. Yeah. We have a chief medical officer. I, I absolutely love Star Trek for being able to play with it. Like, obviously, more, more players would be great for Star Trek. Sure. The very fact that supporting yeah. characters are built in, main, like, you know, they yes. have their main characters. Yep. And then, you know, it's kind of, you can do this thing on the bridge that, right, neither of their main characters are the captain. So they have two of the other, I don't think, maybe it is, I can't remember. But it's like, you know, when you go and do an away team, if they don't send their character on the away team, you have supporting characters. If you need to do yep. some weird science stuff, you use the supporting characters. That's just great. I just thought you know, of one so, thing why three is a really good way. If you play with three players, Okay, for the no matter for the GM, but if you're playing with three players, for the players, it's either your turn, or it's your turn next, or you just had your turn. That's a good point. That wow, that's a really good because then there's no one sitting there, kind of in that null space yeah. of like, eh, eh. yeah, wow. Either the the effects of what you did are being felt, you're doing it, or you're on deck. Yeah, and particularly with two D, one of the advantages of two D twenty is the whole momentum things. That like, right, I'm I'm going to leave momentum for the next guy. Yes. So then you can see how that pays off. Or I'm paying attention to because, see what's going to be left for me. Yeah, yeah totally. So then you're all, I, you've always got an extra little bit of engagement. I love the, the supporting characters mechanic in, in Star Trek Adventures is so, is so perfect. Yeah. And what's really neat, and I'm already seeing this, is that this can be used as a way with Star Trek Adventures to flesh out the story because yeah. you're fleshing out the crew. Yeah. And... You haven't watched Strange New Worlds yet, sad day, but there's a there's an episode in Strange New Worlds where the the characters are all wearing pins, and I think it's called like Remembrance Day or something like that, and it's established as some kind of Starfleet tradition where once a year you can wear a pin that has the crest or the symbol from a previous ship on which you served where you lost a crewmate. So it's meant to memorialize that lost crewmate. Okay. And one of my players found a picture of a character <laughs> that was just like walked on and through that had a pin from the USS Excalibur, which is a, a, a canon constitution class starship. So and, and she was in a blue uniform. And she, it, I think it was noted that she was like a science officer of some sort. So lo and behold, in this last adventure, they created her and we already have a picture of her as a supporting character who's a like a xenobiologist or some garbage like that, something along those lines. So the, the opportunity to flesh out more story through more characters and keep every player engaged relevantly within every single scene um, Star Trek Adventures offers that. Dune, I believe, offers that. 
And I wonder if maybe we should do an episode about taking that. Yeah, maybe. It would be hard in like dungeon crawl type games, but I mean, how could you take that and port that into other systems? But we could try and do it. Exactly right. What? How, where, where can you yeah. put in supporting characters? I, I supporting characters for us was amazing because, like, you think you know, how can you play Star Trek with two players? Like, what? They're always on a shuttle. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Pesley and and, but, and Picard are always getting lost together. <laughs> but it it meant that you could do so much other stuff because if there was an engineering thing going on, anytime there was something outside the bridge, it didn't matter because we had all these other characters. The funny thing is, you just said about Stranger Worlds, I, I thought Stranger Worlds only had three characters anyway. I thought it was just like Kirk and Spock and, uh, no, not Kirk, Pike. Pike? Pike. Pike, Pike and Spock and, and number cool. one. That's it, isn't it? There's, just, there's three characters. There's no one else. They're just three characters. <laughs> I'm still right with three. No, it's it's a it's a full. <laughs> they have gone back to the uns. No, they've gone back. Oh, wrong, sir. Boo. They've gone back to the ensemble cast. They have vaulted back but over Discovery's mistakes, and they have gone back to an ensemble cast. You know the the other thing too about uh, if you're not familiar with Star Trek Adventures, and maybe this is something we should talk about. You know, as a as a homebrew approach. There are supporting characters where a player takes over a secondary character and uses them so the player can be in every scene. You don't, or rather, you can also have player-controlled NPCs who are not yeah. supporting characters. So if you only had two, and there's a mechanic for how that works, if you only had two players and one of them is, one of their characters is not, wouldn't be in that scene, that other player would pick up a, a supporting character, but that doesn't mean that those players would only always be in a pair. If they beam down to a planet and they bring away, they bring some security official, you know, red shirts to die with them, those can be player-controlled NPCs, and there's a mechanic for that. We ought to talk about that, how we how that could be ported into other systems. So I, you know what, I'm going to stick with four, but I'm going to give three a, and uh, a, a go and see how I can how I can pull more more providing players with more spotlight time and then asking them to to dig in yeah. more deeply and there we go. first session was really good so hopefully we'll have more thank you so much for listening you can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch that's f-l-u-f-f N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much. <laughs>